1: Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our special guest is Kim Sorrell, writer, popular speaker, activist, coach, mom, entrepreneur, and director of the humanitarian nonprofit organization, Rays of Hope International.
0: And I'm Mary Elkins. Kim is the author of two books. Her first, Cry Until You Laugh, is about her and her husband's battle with cancer, And her second, Love Is, chronicles her quest to figure out the true meaning of love. Welcome, Kim.
2: Thank you so much, ladies. It is so wonderful to be with you. And it's great to have you.
1: Yes, for sure. We understand that you were once a business entrepreneur and a high school basketball coach. So please tell us about your background and what led you from that to your current career path as a writer and all the other things you're doing now.
2: Sure. Well, I was going to be the first woman president of the United States. Oh. Was high <laughs> that was my goal. And so I, I had my life laid out before me, at, but I knew that there probably wasn't room for a husband and kids, but I had two criteria if I ever were to meet somebody. And one was he had to be over six foot tall because <laughs> my five foot nothing mother married a short man and I wanted to give my kids a shot at some height and he had to be really good looking. So he'd look in my wedding pictures. So I was a deep thinker, very deep thinker. And so in through the door walked this tall, dark, handsome man that stole my heart. And 10 days after I met him, I proposed and he said, yes. And we got married. Really? Yes. How crazy. Right. And we got married a little less than a year later. And yeah. Yes. And so then a couple of years later, kids started coming and But I played uh, three sports in high school, basketball, volleyball, and softball. And so I coached for 25 years. I coached basketball. And then I coached uh, varsity volleyball for 17 years. And it was fun. Wow. Coaching, yes. Started my first business right out of high school. And I've been in several different businesses. uh, But I've sold them. Like, I'm in my third
0: chapter. I'm in the next phase of life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. That's great.
1: And, and now would you uh, consider your main thing as being a writer?
0: Yes, writer, speaker, Right. right. Oh, writer, good. speaker. Well, let's talk about your first book, Cry Until You Laugh, which chronicles your journey with your husband until he passed. How were you able to write it while watching his struggle and dealing with your own? And how did you survive and go on and thrive and move forward?
2: Well, it was a crazy time because I, I was diagnosed with, breast cancer and dealing with that. And four months later he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and and died six weeks after that. Uh, yeah. So wow. it was a right. It was a crazy time. And so unexpected. You know, one person getting cancer is unexpected. And yeah. then two of us and then his diagnosis being so bad, pancreatic cancer, they just there, there isn't anything. And, and, so- and you had
1: little kids at the time, right?
2: Uh nope, my kids were grown.
1: Oh, okay. So
2: yes, yeah. They they were grown. I was 47. And that's young. I I think so. I mean, we were gonna be those 95 year old people in rockers on the front porch drinking lemonade and smiling at each other, or whatever it is you do when you're 95 years old and are still mirroring, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was a whole a whole different life I had to figure out. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. So yeah. the book, Cry Until You Laugh, I started writing when I was diagnosed because I went to the bookstore and everything was either medical or depressing. And I wanted to know, well, what does it feel like? Like, do you have to make any choices? What is it like to have breast cancer? I I had no idea. I didn't know anybody uh, close who had had it. I didn't see anybody go through it. And uh, I was 47, which is young too, for breast cancer. And so I I just didn't know. So I just started writing, thinking- Maybe it'll be a book someday and people will uh, benefit from it so that they have some answers. And I uh, wrote for about a year. So I was writing when my husband was diagnosed and through losing him and, and whatever. And So cry until you laugh because that's what you have to do. So yeah. that that is that book. Was it like a diary that you kept? In a way, I wrote when I felt like it. And... I uh, sent them out via, I sent it out via email. It kind of started too as a way to let family and friends know, oh, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow or whatever was going on, surgery coming up or whatever. And, uh, but it was uh, much more than that. And before I knew it, 5,000 people were reading my emails and I was, had such wonderful support from all over the world. And it was uh, really nice to have that kind of love poured out and support. And so, yeah, I just kind of wrote when I had something to write about, basically.
0: Yeah, I I would think that most people going into that type of situation wouldn't have any idea about anything other than when they had to be at the doctor and what their symptoms might be. So that's quite a contribution.
2: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I get uh, cards and letters and emails and whatever from people that found that very helpful beneficial and it's funny it's uh it's not just all this is what you go through you know it's um real life the the, the stuff that actually happens like for instance i had to have a mastectomy but the cancer was just on one side and uh-huh. so you can get one side or you can get both sides and i had to make a choice and i'm like i don't know how do you make that choice, right? I didn't know what to do, and we were sitting around the dinner table, and my son Paul, I was, I was just saying, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure, and so my son Paul said, "Well, Mom, would you get new siding on just half the house?" <laughs> oh, oh, good point, son. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. So yeah, you're right. You're right. There we go. There's my choice. So yes, there's a, just a lot of things that go with it that you don't think
1: about that's lovely i love that he gave you that humorous support
2: too because that makes you laugh
1: too i'm sure you guys laughed
2: oh yes oh for yeah Yeah.
1: and jack canfield the author of chicken soup for the soul said he quote couldn't stop reading your book and quote love is and that quote, it definitely is chicken soup for your soul, that it's part memoir, part adventure story, and part personal and spiritual development guidebook. So would you please tell our listeners about it and how it came about?
2: Sure. Well, losing my husband and not knowing exactly what life was going to bring, it made me question love, the true meaning of love. Like it seems to be this mystery, right? Like Ed Sheeran sings about it and Nicholas Sparks writes about it, you know, whatever. But there's, that's just like this romantic love, but love is for everybody everywhere. And so, but what is it? And so I wanted to know I was doing it right. And so I decided I would dedicate a full year to figuring that out, to just search for the true meaning of love. And Mm. most of the time I was in Haiti when I was doing it. So that added a, a layer of something. Uh, I, I have to tell you. And um, and it was, it was a crazy time. I used this 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. And I decided I would take one word a month and really figure it out. Like, what is love that is patient? Oh, I love, love that. that yeah. So I started chapter with what I think it is and end each chapter with the story that brings me to the reality of what it is. And I was chased by a motorcycle gang and I slept outside with tarantulas and snakes and I uh, got lost on a mountain. I mean, just some crazy stuff happened. And so uh, I found out a lot of cool things about love that I don't think anybody knows.
0: Well, I have to ask what you were doing in Haiti. Was it a a trip or were you studying or what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I got through all of my cancer stuff, And not sure if I was going to go back to my businesses or back into the nonprofit world. I ended up uh, thinking I was going to take it slow. And I became the part-time bookkeeper for a nonprofit organization that my father and I had started uh, 10 years or so before that. And 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti. So my (sighs) part-time bookkeeping job went from part-time to 24-7. And the earthquake killed 200,000 people. Oh, my God. Right. And <gasps> so I was on the ground in Haiti a couple weeks after the earthquake. And then for the next several years, I spent at least part of every month in Haiti for the next six or so years.
1: Wow. We interviewed a man from Haiti who's written a book about Haiti and trying to um, get the rest of the world to understand how Haiti operates. He lives here in the States now, but we did a real interesting episode on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He talked about what people can do and how they should educate themselves on Haiti
2: mm. because
0: it, we really don't know much about it. Uh, and it's, it sounds like a wonderful thing that you're doing um, and talking about love. Will you tell our audience some of the truths of what you uncovered about love that we were never taught? <laughs> sure. Well,
2: uh, one of the, one of the things that's in that poem is love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I, I thought, well, I was kind of dreading that one because we might forget that we might forgive, but we don't forget the things that happen to us. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: record of wrongs, like how does that work? And, and sometimes we even have a hard time forgiving, So that month that I was working on that, I'd I'd received a phone call from a man in the United States who wanted to look at a water project that we were working on in Haiti. And so he wanted me to meet him there and show him. And so he brought seven other men with him. So eight men came from the U.S. I uh, tapped two Haitian friends who knew the project inside and out, both men, to translate and help with the project and me. And we drove out to the countryside and uh, to where we were staying. And we got there and it was just a real small building with two rooms and there were four beds in each room, but there was some extra room in the rooms. So I'm thinking, well, we brought two cots and an air mattress. We're fine. You know, it'll all all work out. Well, the head guy of the American men pulled me over. Kim, can I talk to you? I'm like, sure. So I walk over and he he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, there's nothing else to see. (laughs) There's nothing else here. But then they went, oh, he's asking me because he's going to think I want my own room. So I'll just say, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he'll say, oh, no, if anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in the room. And he'll say, well, good, because we have more people. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good. Because we've got men on this trip who would not be comfortable with a woman in their room. Wow. And so I said I would. So I had to figure it out. And I saw this piece of plywood and these two wooden structures kind of holding it up. And I thought, well, if I sleep under there, at least if it rains, I'm protected. But I was so afraid of the tarantulas and the snakes and the chupacabras or whatever it is that is lurking in the bushes of Haiti, that something would dismember me in the middle of the night. And so I slept Mm -hmm. on my back thinking that would be the easiest way to get up and run. So the first night I go to bed and the air mattress held air for about an hour. And then I'm on gravel. And it was loud because horns were honking. Dogs were barking. It was so loud. And then finally that died down midnight, 1 a.m. And then 2 a.m., the voodoo drum started in the distance. That went for a couple hours. And finally I was able to get some sleep. First night came and went, no problem. Second night, same thing. I'm sleeping on gravel after an hour. It's loud. The dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums. Finally, I'm sleeping, but I woke up because there was something on my leg. And I thought, oh, my word, does Haiti have the anti venom to whatever is about to bite me? Am I going to be able to get airlifted to Miami? What is going to happen, right? I had no idea. And so I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes and it was a chicken. It was a dang chicken on my leg. And I didn't know whether to be happy that it wasn't something much worse or mad because this chicken woke me up. (laughs) Right? So the third night, I went to bed and third night, nothing happened. Fourth night. So fourth night, I'm on gravel, the horns, the dogs, the voodoo drums, everything, whatever. Finally, I'm sleeping. And I woke up again because again, there was something on my leg. And again, I was scared to death because I had no idea what it would be. So again, I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. And again, I didn't know whether it be mad or happy that it was a chicken, right? Mm-hmm. But the good news is we had chicken that night for dinner. Oh. So my fifth night was without incident. I nothing landed on me, crawled on me or anything the fifth night. And at first, I got to tell you, I was kind of bitter. I was angry at those guys. I thought, gosh, my boys wouldn't treat a woman that way. You know, I'm all about equality, but I'm still a woman. I'm still human. Like, I felt like I was being treated subhuman, that, you know, I didn't matter as much as they mattered. And I I was mad. I thought, well, who do they think they are? You know, who would behave that way?
1: Who would just night after night let you sleep out there? (laughs) Right. I'm I'm like amazed at that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. amazed. Well, it was crazy. and But then I thought, oh, I'm working on love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me what that means. So, yeah, we don't forget the things that happened to us. I'll never forget that time. It was intense, like, right? I mean, I didn't Uh get much sleep and I was scared. And so it was pretty intense. I'll never forget it. But the tone of the story changed. The narrative changes. So instead of these rotten guys that did this rotten thing to me, it's, kind of a funny story that happened to me. I now could sleep literally anywhere in the world and be perfectly fine. And, and so it's, it's the tone of the story that changes because, you know, bitterness only hurts us anyway. Right. And usually Uh when you're mad at somebody, they don't even know you're mad at them. They have no idea. And, uh, but it it can eat away at us. And so love that doesn't keep record of wrongs. That's
0: true. And I was, I was going to add to that, that the chickens were probably attracted to you because they knew that in your heart you loved. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. <laughs>
1: but were there any other truths that you could tell yes. us that you uncovered? Yes. Oh, love, yeah, for sure. About love.
2: Oh, yeah, so many. Like, um, uh, you know, you'll hear that love is a two-way street, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, but it isn't. Love is one hundred percent on you. One hundred percent. Love is not a transaction. So it's not like I give you money, you give me a pair of jeans, right? That's a transaction. If I'm giving you love to get love back, that's a transaction. And love doesn't do that. We don't control anybody. You know, when you have a baby, you can you have total control, right? You decide when they eat. I mean, they let you know they're hungry, but you decide when they sleep. You decide when you bathe them. But then they're six, seven, eight months old. They start crawling around. And pretty soon all your Tupperware is all over your kitchen floor. Your pots and pans are getting banged around and they're all over the place. And you realize you've lost control and you never get control back again. Mm -hmm. So we, we control only ourselves. We have no control over what anybody else does. And so loving somebody, it's, you don't, you have to stop loving them just because you don't feel the love being returned. Because that's not why you're loving to begin with. You're loving because that's what love does, is is you love. Mm -hmm.
1: What surprised you most then about your findings on love? And how do you, how should we define what love is?
2: Well, love, uh, so each one of those words was really interesting to go through. And each one very unique in, Mm -hmm. in what it means and changed my life. and But there's this overall sort of umbrella over it all. And that is that love is not an emotion like excitement or joy. Love is who you are. Love is who you can be to others. So love is walking, talking, breathing, living, giving. And with love, because love is love, there is no room for judgment. There's no room for condemnation. There's no room for racism. No room for discrimination. And love allows people to be who they are created to be. So there's there's no judgment. People can have a different opinion, and that's okay, because when you love the person you're with, and I, I just believe you're supposed to love everybody. Like it's just a better way to live, a happier way to live, a more peaceful way to live. And so when you love the person you're with you really listen because you're fully engaged you're not thinking about the meeting you have later or stopping at the grocery store on the way home you're you're fully engaged and so your ears are open and you hear things that you might not hear mm. and you realize that we have a whole lot more in common than we do different from each other right people are people all over the world and we have these political divides and you know holidays coming and There's always a holiday around the corner and, and you're worried about that obnoxious brother-in-law that's in the opposite political party that you're in. But if you, you can just have a conversation and you can walk away from it. You don't have to like people to love them. Like you might not like uh, what they have to say, but every day we live leads us to today and nobody's walked in the same pair of shoes. Hmm. And so the things that we believe, the things that we're taught along the way, right? Today, we're, we, that's what we act out. Whatever it is that we've learned, what we've come up with on our own, you know, research that we've done, whatever it is. And not everybody has had the same walk. So different opinions are fine. But then love would say you have a conversation, not a confrontation. Okay. So you listen. It's okay to listen. You don't have to agree, but you can listen.
0: Yeah.
1: So I I hear the, the definition somewhere in there. But have you ever distilled it down to a definition
0: of love? Uh, yes. yes.
2: I would say that that if you had to bring it down to a word, love is freedom. Mm-hmm. It's, it's complete freedom because it's all you have to do. So we don't have to fix anybody. Isn't that nice that we don't have to fix anybody? <laughs> we don't have mm-hmm. to control anybody. You know, all, all you have to do is love. And it's, it is so, it's just freedom. It's just freeing.
0: Mm. And I love that. Do you, you talked about Haiti. Do you have another story since your book took a, over a year to write about what brought you to your new understanding of love?
2: Yes. Oh, my word. Yes, I do. Uh, um, I had to take a truck over the border uh, going from Haiti to the Dominican Republic. And I had two friends with me from the U.S., both men. And we had this, it was a big truck, but it was open in the back. And we had a bunch of tools in the back. And so we, and I'd crossed the border before. And you're always told, don't stop on the Haitian side. Don't stop on the Haitian side. It's dangerous. You know, people will take your stuff. Don't stop, don't stop. And so I'm like, okay. I mean, that was my experience always. Every time I'd cross the border, I drove across. And you get to the Dominican side, and there's a building, and on one end of it, you get stamp the Haiti stamp, and on the other end, you get the Dominican Republic stamp. So we pull up to the border, and, and we're going to go through, and people are waving us down and waving us down, and I'm like, no, no, drive, drive. And so we went to the other side. Well, come to find out, Haiti changed things, and we were supposed to stop on the other side. Oh. So there was a, a Dominican man who came up who spoke English. And he said, no, yeah, he told us all about it. No, you, you had to get your passport stamped. So we left one of my friends to kind of guard our stuff, stayed with everything in the truck. And then this gentleman from the DR, he negotiated with a couple motorcycles to take us back to the other side. And so we went back on these motorcycles to the other side, and then they drove us back to the Dominican side, and then we got stamped and we got on our way. And... My friend was still in the back. And then the gentleman from the Dominican Republic was helping that was helping us. He jumped in the back because he needed a ride. And then all of a sudden we're hearing, go, go faster, go faster. And we're like, what? What is going on? And they were we were getting rocks thrown at us, big rocks thrown at us. And I'm like, oh my word, why are they throwing rocks at us? And then motorcycles were chasing us and they're pulling up around side us. And my friend drove like a maniac. He was like Mario Andretti. It felt like we were on two wheels turning corners and going on these dirt roads. And I had no idea what was going to happen. It was the craziest thing. And they are everywhere. They're trying to make us pull over. And I'm thinking, we pull over? I mean, we could lose our passports. We could lose our lives. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so finally, we got away from them. And they stopped chasing us. And my friend said, oh, my gosh what was that about? And I said, well, I think I know I, uh, they, um, they asked for more money. We negotiated a price and then they asked for more money. And I told him no, because we negotiated a price. And he said, well, well, how much more did they want? And I said, $5. (laughs) And so we kind of risked our lives over $5. And so it was, it was, interesting because the rest of the drive also is interesting and you know love a thing about love is love doesn't easily anger and you know you think you know what that means you you keep your cool you know whatever you don't get all upset and all worried whatever and uh and i learned that that day what it what it really is is it's not so much that you just keep your cool but it's you look at things in a different way you look at even anger in a different way. When, when is it truly justified? You know, because sometimes it is, but we so easily can get mad over the littlest things, right? Like they got really mad over $5, but I probably should have just given them the $5 and, and been okay. But love would say, just, just breathe, just breathe and keep your cool, you know, realize that whoever you're with, I mean, they, they've got their own story. They've got whatever. And might be mad about something, but that doesn't mean that you also have to get angry about it. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to get all riled up. You can just stay in your peace and stay in your love and, and be okay. And it was funny because we got on the other side of this, you know, and as, and as we're talking about it and driving along, my friend said, Oh my gosh, she said, I've been skydiving, I've been uh, parachuting or uh, parasailing. I've done a lot of things in in my life. I've done a lot of crazy things. He said, my adrenaline never flowed like that before. He said, I'd pay $10,000 to have that happen again. (laughs)
0: I'm like, well. No kidding. I
2: I think we won't. I think we'll try to avoid that. (laughs) (laughs) No.
0: Why is it that tough times, like you've just talked about, create the atmosphere where we can bring more love into our lives. Why is that? Why do you think? Well, I
2: think it makes us more aware, right? I think it it brings out naturally who you are when you go through a tough time. You're either gonna stay calm and stay in um, in a in a, pe- in a peaceful place and stay loving, or you're gonna get mad and and call names and and put labels on people and, and, but love doesn't do that. You know, love doesn't label people, you know, we're, we're Mary and Kathy and Kim, where we have names and we're individual people that there's nobody in the world exactly like us. Right. Nobody, Mm -hmm. nobody has ever been exactly like the three of us sitting here and nobody ever will be.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And there's something very special about that. Yeah. And so there's something special about honoring that also in other people.
1: And Kim, you know, we're living in turbulent times where people disagree even on what truth is. So is love going to be the four-letter word that will rock the world and change it? Yes. And if so, how?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I did the homework. (laughs) I lived these months and figured out so many things about love that if people know everything that I learned about love, changes your life. I've gotten so many uh, emails and calls and letters and whatever about people that their lives have changed. Couples that have stayed together that were on the verge of breakup, families that were reunited. Uh, there are, are families that are buying the book for all their adult children and then Zooming once a month, talking about a chapter a month and and doing a Zoom call once a month. And, mm. and that's been pretty cool for families and companies that are buying for their staff and having company meetings once a month. Because love isn't something we hang at the door when we walk in, right? It's not a raincoat or something. So it doesn't matter where we are, at work, at the grocery store, wherever it is we are, love stays with us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. How do you get there though? I mean, how do you, there must be things that occur in your life now, like sleeping outside in Haiti that upset you how do you get around that what do you do besides breathe <laughs> well sure and and I'm sure not perfect uh
2: but I try hard and I I'm definitely different I'm I definitely am different and and look at people differently I think a lot of it is to not get into situations to begin with like a lot of times we get riled about what somebody says, but we get to choose our reaction to whatever is happening, right? So we get to choose if what somebody says is going to rile us up or not. Mm-hmm. They, they really aren't controlling us. We're, we're controlling us. And so you can choose to not get all riled up. You can choose to to keep your cool. You can choose to just walk away if that's what you need to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You don't have to stay there. You don't have to, you know, if somebody's saying horrible things to you, you know, and, and hurting you in whatever way verbally, you, you don't have to listen to that. You know, mm. you, you can, you can just walk away from that and, yeah. and you don't, you don't have to lose your cool.
0: Because, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. E- even at the, uh, the holiday dinner tables, <laughs> even with the
2: obnoxious brother-in-law who yes, is the opposite party that you are and <laughs> wants to, uh, tell you. How wrong you are about your politics or how wrong you are about whatever it is. And, and you can change the subject. I mean, you know, just figure out ways around the conversation or don't sit next to him at the table Mm. or also hear him out a little bit. And, you know, he's probably not going to change your mind, but you might hear why he believes the way he believes and you might then gain a better understanding of him. Mm which can change how you feel about him and change how you listen. Mm-hmm.
0: Good idea. Kim, tell us, uh, tell our listeners about Rays of Hope International, what it is. And did that begin in Haiti or before? Was that part of your dad's charity?
2: Yes. Yeah, my dad and I started it together. And uh, um, yes, we were actually at first in the Dominican Republic was the first place we were. And, and then Haiti and um, but a few countries in Africa. Rays of Hope is a partnering organization. We work with people in their own country who understand the language, they understand the true needs, they understand the culture. but people that have a, a passion, a, a vision to do something to help people in their own country and just need somebody to walk alongside. because it's awfully hard to have have a medical clinic without supplies, right? It's hard to have a school without pencils and desks. And sometimes those are the things that are needed. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's a business plan too, that, that in the end there's self-sustainability so that they're not always chasing dollars. They can do just to have the school without trying to worry from month to month if they're going to be able to pay teachers or, or, or whatever it is that they're doing. And so uh, that's what we do. We partner with people. Can you give an example? Sure. Yes. There's this wonderful man. Oh, my gosh. I love him. Dr. Gardy, who is in in the outskirts of um, uh, St. Mark, which is a city north of Port-au-Prince. And he is a doctor. He grew up on the streets in Haiti. Mm -hmm. His uh, father, he never knew. And his mother ended up marrying when he was. Seven years old or so, marrying a man who was very abusive. And so at seven years old, he was living on the streets, which is so hard to think about, isn't it? But he wanted an education. And he ended up meeting this American man, just kind of happened to meet him. And, and he, they were talking and he's like, I, I want to go to school. And, and we think that school's free. You know, they'll tell you that it's free but you have to have the shoes and you have to have the uniform and you've got to pay for the books and the pencils and the tests and, and whatever it's not free. There's, there's, there's no, no such thing as free. And when you're a kid living on the street, you can't pay for all those things. There's no way. So this man said, well, I'll pay as long as you stay in school, I'll pay. Well, then he wanted to go to med school. He did really, he did great in school and then wanted to go to med school (laughs) And this man said, okay, if you get into med school, I'll pay for your med school. And he did. And, and the deal was that he would work in Haiti. And so he did come to the U.S. for a while for training. And he's an incredible doctor and just an incredible human being. And he had uh, this vision to have community health workers. So people trained because there's, Uh, I don't remember the statistic exactly. It's like one doctor for every 20,000 people or some tough statistic like that. So there's not doctors all over and some people can't even get to a doctor. But so to train people in first aid, you know, in some of the basic things where they can be in their community to take care of some of the basic things uh, was part of his plan. And so he does that and he does clean water and he has, an AIDS clinic and he has a maternity clinic. And, and so he, all of that could happen because we were able to get him equipment and able to get some money so that he could do some building and, and whatever. So things like that.
0: That's Mm. beautiful. Yeah.
1: Now you have five children.
2: Yes,
0: so tell
1: us a little bit about them. And we understand that after your husband and your own cancer diagnoses, one of your younger sons changed his career trajectory and became a cancer researcher.
2: He did. And has
1: made significant discoveries, right? Yeah. Tell See, us about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I have five kids, four biological, and then a son from the Dominican Republic who runs everything we do in the Dominican Republic. We've got schools and water projects and and stuff over there of our own. And he's fabulous and whatever. I have one daughter and four sons. Mm. And I'll tell you what, that daughter was more work than those four boys put together. But anyway. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. So, so, yeah. So, my, my youngest son, Noah, I call him Boo Boo Kitty. Uh, he was in doing his undergrad when I was diagnosed and when my husband was diagnosed. And he was planning on going into medicine but decided instead to become a cancer researcher.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so uh, after he, he was done with his undergrad, he went to UT Southwestern, which is an incredible institution in Dallas, one of the top mm-hmm. research facilities. And he's been published multiple times. And you know, to get your PhD in cancer research, you have to discover something that's never been discovered before. Really? It has to be significant enough that it is published in a major medical journal. Like, yes, like it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. Wow. And so, yeah, so he, 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 did, he came up with some stuff that they're using today. He also came up with a way of uh, researching whatever it is. It's all over my head, but whatever it is that he does that speeds up part of the research process. And so Harvard has had him over to teach and they've sent him over to Germany to teach this method. And so now they're using it in a lot of labs across the world.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Good- yeah. Boy, that's got to make you so proud.
2: It, it does. I always feel like, though, if I, if I take credit for the good, I got to take credit for the bad.
0: And what if one of them does something bad someday?
2: (laughs) But they're all great. They're all all great. (laughs) It sounds like they're doing great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about some of your other children. Yeah. Well, uh, two of them were in business with me.
2: And then I sold my businesses earlier this year. And so they branched out uh, in business on their own and are doing well. And then uh, one of them in the Dominican Republic running everything we do there. And then my last one was a nuclear engineer in the Navy and Whoa. then and then you paid for his college GI Bill thank you very much mm-hmm. and he got his electrical engineering degree and he works for NASA
0: nice we, yeah. we need all your children
2: <laughs> you
1: got some very yeah. high achievers over there yeah <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's nice they' they're doing good and I I gotta tell you though uh, I really feel like losing my husband kind of changed things. Like, I don't know oh, if it yeah. gave them more drive or, or what it did exactly, but like my son who works for NASA, he was, they, they usually have contract workers and you hope to get hired in to actually get hired in, but you start as a contract worker and they opened up one position the spring. He was graduating from college. They opened up one position and 800 applications or something like that. And they hired the boy who couldn't keep his room clean who couldn't keep his nose wiped. like that's the boy they hired. I mean, I don't know how it happened. It's great that it did, but but it's crazy.
1: beautiful.
0: <laughs> they obviously do what Larry does. They do
1: not care about that part.
2: <laughs> I guess yeah. not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think they see that and at all. And he didn't
1: put it on his resume. <laughs> no,
0: that's right. <laughs> it wasn't a question he asked. Really. <laughs> Kim, what would you like our audience to have as a takeaway today?
2: I I would say love. Uh, try to figure it out. You know, I did your homework for you. So it is in my book, Love Is. And so you, you can uh take the quick way out and learn about love that way but try to love people just love people and realize that 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 we're all human we're all in this together we all walk on the same earth and we all are at the same level and take the labels away and and realize we're all individuals and and
0: and let's celebrate that i think i'm going to buy your book for christmas for everyone i know <laughs> oh, thank you that's so sweet <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Kim Sorrell, cancer survivor, humanitarian, coach, speaker, mom, author of Cry Until You Laugh and Love Is, an expert on love. You can reach Kim through her website, kimsorrell.com, and on all social media sites. Thank you so much again.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. You guys are wonderful. I, I love you guys. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Thank you.
1: We want to remind our listeners to follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers. Drop us a line on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and subscribe to our podcast, please. We always try to uplift and inspire you. And thanks again, Kim.
2: Yes. And everybody should subscribe to your podcast and should follow you guys because you are worth following and your podcast is great. It should be on everybody's list of podcasts they listen to.
1: Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers
0: We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.